You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mike check, one, two, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. This is a warning. Right now, I'm feeling very saucy this morning. So I am going to give you about 20 seconds here to put your kids away, get them earmuffs. There is going to be some some swearing in this episode. Uh, This is an unfiltered episode. Uh, I'm going to talk to you like I would talk to my my buddies and, uh, you know, just a heads up. So All right. So, the title of this episode of uh, this unfiltered episode is called The Vasectomy Session because I recently had a vasectomy and today is Tuesday and I had it on Friday. And so I did a lot of preparing for this vasectomy and what I mean by that is to 
looking at it. Actually, a lot of you guys, listeners of the podcast, had reached out to me and said, hey, it's not so bad, you know, don't try to do anything stupid, or I did do something stupid, and here's what happened to me after the surgery and all this stuff. So um, I really appreciate everybody reaching out to me to, I guess, to guess comfort me from the uh, uh, what was going to happen, right? So I'm just going to kind of walk through this this vasectomy to you guys because I feel it's really important to kind of let everybody know what's coming or if you've already had a vasectomy, get a good laugh out of all of the things that, uh, you know, that happened. So it was this past Friday, right? And my goal was to get it scheduled um, earlier, but they didn't have anything open until March. Um, So this whole week is shot as far as physical activity. Uh, You're not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to do anything crazy physical after it because it could rupture or the, the wounds could open up or, or whatever happens to the, the vast deference. That's the part of the, the, it's a tube that runs from the testicle up into your body. And that's what they cut. That's the, that's where the semen is transferred into your, into your penis and you, you ejaculate, you ejaculate from there. So, um, now that I've had this vasectomy, there won't be any more semen in my, uh, ejaculation. So, and I don't know, I, I feel like it's almost more uncomfortable to say the word ejaculation than it does to say like jizz or something, uh, way less professional, but that's exactly what it is. So, um, I, I wasn't nervous until I got into the room where I, uh, where I, I had my, I guess my, my procedure done. Cause it's not really a surgery cause it's an outpatient. It took 15 minutes. So I go in there, I lay down, some nice nurse uh, tells me, take your clothes off, put this robe on. I, I lay back in this chair and she, she pulls my gown up. She starts putting iodine all over my legs, around my junk. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, the night before I actually had to, I had to shave. So I had to sh- shave my balls and around the shaft of my penis and, you know, all this, all this stuff. So I, I'm, I had to shave. And now that's one of the worst parts is hair is starting to grow back and it's starting to itch down there and you can't really itch it because it's a little tender down there. And so it, it's just really annoying and icing. It actually helps a little bit, but whatever. So I lay down in this chair and I am, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just relaxed. And then the doctor comes in and that's when my heart rate started to just kind of skyrocket a little bit. He, he walks me through the procedure. He says, you're going to get multiple shots into your, uh, into your scrotum and that's going to dull the pain and allow me to do the procedure without much pain. And that is my friend, the hardest and most painful part of the entire procedure is getting the shots. Uh, the, the shots, cause they go in through your sack down into wherever they're cutting and numb up the vast deference and, uh, around the upper testicle area. And that when he did that, my body turned on all of its sweat glands and I, I soaked through absolutely everything that I was touching. I soaked through the nightgown. I soaked through the, uh, uh the, 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 paper they had laid on the chair, like in the doctor's offices, you'll see that. 
And so I, I laid down and I was sweating, just literally sweating my balls off. And, and so, um, I get a little lightheaded and he notices that he's like, dude, you're going to be all right. And he's, he's trying to have, he's a really nice guy. He's trying to have a conversation with me while he's like, so what do you do for a living? How do you, you know, do you know this person? Do you know this person? We actually had a, a friend that was in common. We knew that was in common. His wife knew a girl that I went to high school with. And so I was, (laughs) I was, uh, um, laying there just trying like, through this, the most painful part of, you know, him numbing me up. And then from there, I, I got a little lightheaded and I was like, holy shit. I just started sweating. And I mean, when I say sweating, I mean, dripping sweat from my elbows and I'm laying down. Uh, just, I could feel the sweat coming out of my body and just running all over the place. And so he's down there and he's like, so does that hurt? And he kept apologizing to me. He's like, oh, dude, Ooh, I'm sorry. Like it, it just made me think that he did something wrong. And I'm just like in my head, I know he's not, I know he can't control it. You know, I was the one who signed up for this operation. I can't control it, but he's like, Ooh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that. Like, I'm like, don't apologize because that makes me think like you're doing wrong. Then I had these flashes of, I don't know, go through my head, like just crazy thoughts. Like, dude, is he going to accidentally take my dick off? Because I I want that part of my body to stay, you know, you can cut the tubes for the vasectomy, but leave my dick. And so, um, you get all these crazy thoughts going, the stress, like the, the heart rate increases, you're sweating. I'm a little lightheaded. And so here's what, here's how they do the operation. They take, they give you the shots. It numbs the entire area. And then after that, for the most part, I, all I felt was like little pressure and tugging and things like that. It, it wasn't, it wasn't that painful. So, they take a, a razor. <laughs> this is where it's going to get a little squeamish for us, fellas. They open up our, our nut sack or our scrotum. They go in there. They, they find the tube. They put clamps on each side of this tube. They cut it, and then they cauterize each side of the tube, and then they pull the clamps off. And then they go to the other side and do the exact same thing. And then... They take clamp, an, another set of clamps and they cl- there's no stitches. They clamp the nut sack, those two wounds shut for about, oh, five minutes. And then they, then they take it off. So it's really a very simple, fast procedure. Um, and, and everybody's like, dude, why are you doing this? And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm doing this for one reason. And it is so when I have sex, I don't have to wear condoms. Right. And there's no more accidents. I think he said this from a statistics standpoint. A vasectomy is point. Let's see. How do you say the chances of getting pregnant after this procedure are are point zero zero five percent. Right. So that's that's a really good number. Right. They always the guy goes now this isn't 100 percent, but it's point zero. You know, the chance of getting pregnant is point zero zero five percent. So way less than one percent. So so then in 10 weeks, I have to go back and I have to <laughs> this is this is the crazy part. Like I, I'm, I'm going to try to get my wife to help me just so it's a little bit more fun. But I have to bring a, 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 a semen sample into the office in 10 weeks so they can put it under a microscope and check to see if the, um, 
uh, check to see if the there's any semen in in my jizz <laughs> in my jizz. So they are uh, they have to they, that's what they have to do. Okay, so at some point here, <laughs> full disclosure, and all men I'm guessing all men do this at some point. Um, I have to jack I have to jack off into this this uh, specimen sample and then within an hour go and you know go and take it to them so that so right before I go there I'll work one rub one off and then go and hand them the sample and then from that point on it is yay or nay like hey this procedure was 100% a success you can now go live your life free they're going to check for any you know pain or um, anything that may have gone wrong with the surgery but for the next 10 weeks so there's he said for three days hardly any activity right so and and I'll get to what's going on you know why I'm talking about this topic today Um, but then for seven days no vigorous activity no ejaculating for seven days so after that seven days up I'm going to I'm going to test I'm going to test my body, uh, and see if, uh, you know, how it's all going. And then that next 10 week period is I'm going to treat it just like I don't have a vasectomy, you know, still, still use contraceptives. Um, cause the last thing that I want, and this is another reason why I decided to get, I love my kids. And like my buddy, Nick Otto from the Huntivore podcast said, you know, there's no way I could live with one less kid but one more kid would kill me. And I 100% agree with that, you know, so no more kids, sex, uh, sex without a condom. And really that's, uh, that's all I want. And that's why I, I had this procedure. So I get home 15 minute procedure. I get home on Friday afternoon. I lay on the couch. I start icing. My kids are all at school, uh, and at daycare. So I'm by myself all day Saturday or all day Friday, uh, just relaxing. And I didn't feel too bad. I was a little tired. I was a little, uh, uh, once the, the lidocaine started wearing off, I was a little, uh, tired. I was a little, um, the pain started creeping in, but if I, if I didn't move much and I just, you know, put the ice down there, I was feeling like nothing really happened. The only issue here, uh, on these past couple days is that So I put the ice down there over top of the area that was affected. And what happens is that, you know, any of you who have swam in cold water or go outside and it's cold, the scrotum shrinks down. Well, when it shrinks, it hugs the nuts up high and puts pressure against the wound. So you need the ice to keep the pain and swelling down. But at the same time, the coldness shrinks the scrotum and causes more pain. So I've had to learn how to put ice on it for certain periods of time and just like, so it, the, I I guess if you want to call it shrinkage, the shrinkage doesn't suck the nuts, the nuts up into where the, the procedure was done. And so, um, let's see Monday of this week and Tuesday of this week, it's just been icing off and on. But for, let's see Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I was 100%. It was almost like I had ice on my junk all day. Right. So so I'm sitting here and, and it's, uh, you know, I'm watching football. I've wa- I watch so much TV, you know, like I caught up on all these YouTube channels that I, uh, that I haven't caught up on before. I don't really watch a lot of YouTube. I don't really watch a lot of TV. So I caught up on a, a couple 
uh, movies that I wanted to see, caught up on a couple shows that I wanted to finish. I finished uh, that Yellowstone, what was the name of that, uh, the, the Yellowstone show. There's a prequel called 1883. I finished that first season. I finished uh, our season one of Billions. That's like a investment trading stocks and bonds type show that's on uh, Showtime and watched a couple movies and watched some basketball and that's about it man just kind of relaxing so Sunday comes around and my wife has to go pick my daughter up because she spent the night at one of her grandparents house so they met halfway and so she uh she is she goes and picks her up and she leaves me home with the two boys and I'm, I was a little hesitant at first because I, I was still in, I'm still sore. I uh, just wanted to lay in ice all day Sunday. Uh, I did have to come up to the office and do a little work on Sunday evenings. I do some work. But um, so my boys are in the other part of the basement and they're kind of wrestling around. They're playing The Floor is Lava. That's the game they're playing. The Floor is Lava. So they're jumping from little like blanket to pillow to chair. And then they're just kind of working around the room. Well, my oldest son, he jumps over the couch and he jumps right on top of me and he hit down there, but not a direct hit and like above uh, like lower abs. And that it's still a little sore right there. And I'm just like, fuck, get away from me. Like I, I, I didn't want, like, it was one of those close call reactions. Like it didn't really hurt a lot. And so I yelled, I was like, get out, get out of here. You know, go, go play in your room or just stay away from me. Right. So, and I'm not joking, two minutes later, my youngest son does the exact same thing. He jumps over the couch, this time, direct hit, right onto my nuts, right onto my dick. And I I don't know if you've ever racked yourself um, where you can feel it in your throat, in your butthole. (laughs) Like that's how there, there was just like a straight line of pain that went all the way up my spine into my throat, down to my butt, butthole. And I was just like, holy fuck, this hurts so bad. And I, I started sweating again. I thought I was, I honestly, this is no joke. I thought I was going to pass out. And so I yelled at them. They went away. I, I calmed down, put ice back on my, uh, on my, on my privates and I went like the rest of the day, just real cautious. It, it, it hurt to walk and I was feeling good, pretty good up until that point. And then it became sore again. So Monday was a, a little bit more moving around. I actually went the gym that I go to has a steam room. So I did like this really light pointless workout. And then I went and sat, sat in the steam room to kind of relax. That made me feel better. And so here we are, I'm recording this on a Tuesday and it's Tuesday and I feel fairly good. You know, I'm able to walk at a little bit of a brisker pace. Um, you know, for all the guys out there who have told me, Oh dude, you'll be back at it in, in a couple days. I like, I don't think so. There's no way even right now that I could go and do a construction job. If someone said, all right, Dan, you're building, you're building stud walls today, or you're laying concrete today, or you're, I don't know, going to do landscaping today or, you know, sit at a factory line today. There's no, I don't think I could do it. I'm still that sore. So, um, you know, the doctor said it's going to take seven, you know, a whole full week to recover. And then from at the end of that seven days, 
which would be Friday of this week, Friday or Saturday, then I should start being able to start easing in back into like my vigorous workout that I do at the other gym that I'm a member of. So uh, we'll see what happens. Stay tuned for more updates. But, uh, you know, if you decide to get a vasectomy, I highly recommend it. It's very quick. It, it There is pain involved with just any type of surgery on the body, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. So I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice a week, two weeks of being uncomfortable to the rest of my life, not worrying about having kids or, you know, and having contraceptive free sex, which is, you know, we, we don't need to sit here and argue that that's better than using a condom. So, uh, <laughs> uh that is what has happened. That's, that's the vasectomy side of my life happening right now. Now, I'm going to do <laughs> I'm going to do a quick shout out to some of the sponsors and if you're a sponsor and you're listening to this podcast I hope you approve of that story and then a lead in this awesome lead in right into the uh the commercials that we're going to be doing and all I'm going to do is just really run through them real quick and we'll get into the uh the actual um uh podcast kind of things. And it's going to be a quick episode. You know, it's just a lot of reflection of when I was icing my nuts. So a huge shout out to the par- the partners that have been with me for a long time and those who are on their first year here. Uh, your support really means a lot to me. And if you're a listener, please do me a favor and at least go check out these brands. Uh, go to their website, check out their brands. They are they they offer a lot that can help us be more successful in the field, uh, and not only that, you know, from a gear standpoint, but these guys are participants in the activity. They're not just some company who has a broadhead company. They all bow hunt, right? They all hunt, and so if uh, you want to find out more about these companies, go visit their website. First one is Hunt Stand, uh, one of the most popular. I think they have like two million users, so it's one of the most popular and fully functional podcast or um, uh, hunting apps that are on the market one second uh, on the market so uh, go check out huntstand.com and if you want to purchase their elite package it's only 30 bucks for an entire year sn20 and then we have uh, novex uh, novexoutdoors.com there's going to be some more cool interesting things coming from them uh, this summer and into next fall so stay tuned uh for Novex Outdoors uh, tree stands. Uh, Wasp Archery, discount code 9FINGERS2021 for 20% off. The number 9 followed by the word FINGERS2021. They have a huge lineup of mechanical and fixed blade uh, broadheads. Most of their heads are made in America. And, uh, dude, I'm telling you what, I love I love the brand. Ozonics, that is uh, ozonicshunting.com. If you want a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units, NFC21, NFC21. Go take a look at that. We have Vortex Optics. Man, huge shout out to all the guys at Vortex. Uh, in two weeks, I'm heading over to their corporate headquarters, and I'm going to be uh, doing a lot of record podcast recording. And at the same time, I'm going to be doing some uh, uh, just chilling and checking out their their fact or their uh, their headquarters and all that stuff. ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Go check that out. Uh, for really reliable trail cameras, uh, huge fan of that stuff. You know, especially the brand, their their products work, and that's really all I want. And then Excalibur crossbows. Um, I'm thinking about picking up a crossbow for my uh, wife and kids this summer, so they can 
join me in the backyard when I go to shoot my bow, Excalibur crossbows, or excuse me, excaliburcrossbow.com. So those are the partners of the podcast. Now I'm, I'm laying down in, let me take a drink of coffee real quick. I've been talking for 21 minutes straight. Okay. Let's see here. Um, we are sitting here in, this is going to launch on Wednesday. So it's the last week in March, right? And so I'm sitting down, I'm icing my nuts and I am looking up. I, I have transitioned my basement into this little man cave family room type of area. And I have one, six, I have six mounts down there right now. After I paint the rest of the room, I'm going to have like nine down there, nine or 10. So here's the thing. I'm looking, I'm looking at this, like the show, this one show got boring. So I, I said, oh, I'm going to just t- maybe take a little nap. I shut the TV off and I couldn't fall asleep. And I'm looking at all of the deer mounts on the wall and I'm trying to, and I'm, I'm replaying in order from, let's see, in 2009 to to 2021 uh all of the deer that i've killed and what they were doing and i ran through the time of year i ran through the um uh, you know what the environment was like what the terrain was like what the 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 wind was doing what you know all these different things that led to me putting an arrow in these deer and so i'm sitting there and i'm Aside from two bucks that I would say were in a full rut mode, okay? So the buck I shot in 2009, uh, it was chasing a doe very hard. Another buck came in, bumped him off, like didn't fight him, but he was another big mature buck, bumped him off, and that buck then left to try to go find another group of does, Right. So he got pressured off the buck that I ended up shooting came up the ridge and I shot him. I would, I would say that that was a, that was a, a rut kill in, in the rut. And then in 2000, I believe it was 19. I can't remember if it was 19 or 17. Either way, that buck that I shot was chasing a doe really, really hard through this bedding area all over the place. Uh, he, he, he bedded down for like five minutes, then he stood back up and then he came back to chase the does and he walked through a shooting lane. So I shot him. Okay. So those two bucks are an exception from the rest of the deer that I've shot in 2007. The buck that I shot was by himself in 2000 and 12 the buck that I shot was by himself in 2016 the buck I shot was by himself the only not the only deer I saw but the only deer in in within shooting range in that area that night uh, so that's 16 17 would have been the uh the buck that I he was he was with or he came fr- from an area by himself and he met up with a doe group Okay. The, and then 18, the the buck that I saw was the only deer I saw that night shot him. Okay. 19, the only deer that I shot, uh, that year, uh, he was by himself. 
okay, then uh, 20 by himself. And that was that I'll throw that into a little bit of luck, but he was by himself, right? And that was on November, I mean, like sixth or seventh or something like that. And then uh, 20, let's see, 20, yeah, 21, 20 shot that buck by himself. And 21, that buck was also shot. Uh, he, there was no does. Okay, there, I saw three other bucks that night. They were kind of all in this little area, but I, I didn't see any does. And so what I'm getting at here is, and I've, I've said this before in a lot of podcasts, and I just want to reiterate this, that November doesn't equal the rut. The rut is when the does start to go into heat and breeding begins. Okay, so on some of the farms that I hunt, the rut really doesn't kick off until that seventh time frame. Now, we may have an exception where one doe might go in late October, but that doesn't happen a lot where I'm at. I, I don't I am not in one of those early rut pockets. I the rut that uh I witness on the farms that I hunt are always kind of a a past November fifth past November 7th into the the 10th you know where it gets crazy so all of these deer that I've killed throughout the years minus the two they have been in a what I would call a pre-rut time frame right where they are in this this mode of laying sign they're scent checking does they know that these does aren't worth getting crazy about yet Um, so they're laying down sign they are marking their territory they are um, pushing other deer out of an area that may challenge them and that's exactly what happened this past year right i um i witnessed two two or three bucks come into an area and then leave and then that's when i noticed the mature dominant buck in the area that i eventually killed he came into me snort wheezing and I didn't, there was no does. So I'm telling you right now that if there is a hot doe in an area, those deer will find her. And it, unless that doe has another dominant big buck over top of her, you know, guarding her basically, the, all the deer are going to be around, all the bucks are going to be around her. And then they will jockey for position until somebody gets the breeding rights for that doe. And that just isn't happening the first, for me, really the first five days of November. And that is why I like hunting in this time frame, is because they are ready. There's this window where they are ready to breed. The bucks, they want to rut, but the does are not ready. So they're up on their feet. They're, they're putting themselves in positions every single day to catch maybe a doe group going through or where at some point throughout the day they are crossing paths with um, a doe group and if it's a mature buck I don't I can't I can't how do I how do I say this I can't prove this but I feel like if if especially if you're if you're going after a four-year-old, five-year-old, an older class deer they know where the does hang out they know where to wait. They know when they're going to go through. Maybe it's just betting downwind of a certain location or hanging out in a downwind of a certain location where a doe group comes through. And they're going to scent check these does as they go from bed to food, their bed to food pattern. 
So that's why I really like um, that time of year, this pre-rut. But I think what happens is a lot of people are using rut tactics like rattling, grunting, decoying in this pre-rut time frame. And I don't necessarily think that works as well in a pre-rut stage because a buck may be, you know, you might be able to catch a, a buck coming into a rattling sequence or a, uh, or a decoy. You might, you might be able to, but this is just my experience, right? I don't think that that tactic necessarily works on a mature buck that knows he's one of the dominant deer and is like, he's just sitting and chilling. He's just waiting for that time to pop. And then when that time comes, he can go into whatever bedding area or food source or transition area where the does are coming through at, and he can, he can just push any other deer off. Right. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've seen it several times where there is a, uh, let's just say a two-year-old or a three-year-old chasing a, a hot doe. And then all of a sudden a big dominant buck or an older age class buck will, will appear whether that's a three-year-old or an eight-year-old or whatever comes in. He doesn't have to even fight for this, this doe. He, he goes in, he postures up, puts his ears back, turns sideways. And that other buck goes, I'm not fucking with that guy. I'm out. Right. And he'll, he'll circle, like he'll be a satellite bull, I guess, if you want to, if you want to make that, but he won't go in because he knows if he does, he's going to get his ass kicked. Right. So there's a lot of position and dominance held that that's being held in the timber or wherever you're hunting just off posturing. And so all the years that I've spent in the tree stand has led me to believe that this this pre-rut time frame is some of the best time to go after a big mature buck because they're on their feet they're looking to breed they're just waiting and if you can find the pocket that they live in like i did in uh, this this past year in 21 i found the pocket i had a hunch i had some data i had you know past sign um, i went in there i hung a tree stand and sure enough he was in in this in this pocket uh, along with a whole bunch of other bucks now I didn't see any does, but that doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, I wasn't down or up from a doe bedding area. It was, uh, uh, it was, it was just the right spot that day. First time in best time in type, uh, type scenario. So I, I feel like I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm, what I'm trying to do. I've always talked about, you know, the first week in November, all these people come in and they, they want to use their vacation on or November 1st, the first week, let's say they have a week of vacation. I'm going to, I'm going to go, if I'm a bow, hardcore bow hunter, I'm going to use my vacation week one through or day, November one through November 7th. I'm going to, I'm going to use the first full week there. Well, the issue with that is, is that you're implementing rut strategies in a pre-rut time frame, depending on the doe group. And that's when the rattling, the sitting on the field edge, the, all that stuff really, in my opinion, doesn't work. That's when, that's the time frame where you need to be in the thick shit, right? You need to get them coming out of a bed. You need to hunt f the freshest sign you can. You need trail camera data if you have it. Um, and so that, that's, 
not to like beat a dead horse, but that is exactly why I love that that time frame. And the trend is the trend has kind of just hit me. Now I don't know if I'm putting myself in a position at that point to if I'm putting myself in a position because that's what I'm used to, or or that's where I find my success most years is in that the first you know, the first five days because I, you know, I hunt more, I hunt aggressive and I get that. But after that, after that time frame, I've, I've also noticed that my strategy changes a little bit of where I am focusing less on a, I don't want to call where I hunted this year, a staging area, but there were deer definitely staged there. This was like a hub, right? I, I would call it a transition area slash staging area. It's where there are a whole, the terrain, like the terrain kind of all came together in this certain area. There was a lot of uh, buck sign, buck rubs, uh, all that stuff was there. And one thing that I noticed was that, uh, you know, come to think of it, I, I, I actually think I would maybe call it a staging area. Because they're staging in there because that's where the deer are crossing. So it is kind of a pinch point, but they're they're staging there for that reason that I just mentioned earlier, and that is to catch the doe groups coming through. And if the doe, doe groups take a different route, then they have access to the the ag ground below, the ag ground above, or they can cruise this ridge system to try to lo- locate them. So it is kind of a, a staging area, but... Le- but not the way we think of a staging area when we talk about a staging area right before going out to a food source. This is more of a, uh, a staging area for before the rut. Like they're staging there. They're like, okay, this is going to be my home base right now. I'm going to wait for the does, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back here and come and check. Now, if you can find those places, that's awesome because I feel that those are the places where you hunt two days in a row no action, go hunt somewhere else. And then if your, if your access route is good, you hunt there again for two days and, or whatever rotation you feel more comfortable in with the hopes of catching these deer coming back to stage, maybe laying some fresh sign, maybe just, you know, bedded down uh, in, in an area between does as the rut goes on. And so I don't know, I, I, I feel like the deer that I've been shooting lately have been in these types of areas and um, they are, see, how do I put this? Yeah. So they've, they've been in, in these types of areas and that's where I just find myself having the most success within these, these, these pinch points slash, I mean, it's thick in there too. So technically it's, it's multiple things, right? There's edge in there. There's a terrain feature in there that they work to go, you know, it's almost like a, a turnoff on a turnpike on two where interstate 80 meets interstate 35 over in Des Moines. There's all this big conjunction of lanes. And so if you're, if you look at that from a deer hunter's standpoint, all this traffic comes through one hub. If there is edge or cover in there, that's next to a, a food source. Well, shit, why wouldn't you hunt it? So just kind of, uh, just kind of something to think about that I was thinking about, uh, here and, you know, I, I wish I had the time and I wish I 
would put energy into this October, this early October timeframe where there's guys out there who are, are getting it done the first week of October because they put in all the additional time. See, I don't do that. I, I would rather go to a Western hunt, uh, whether that's South Dakota or an elk hunt out West or uh, to a different state, try to catch my luck running and gunning on some public, then come back and know that the deer are about to start moving, hunt that pre-rut time frame, and then get back, you know, kind of get back into uh, the the rotation of the rut. So I don't know, man. I just, that's that's the pattern that I've, I've noticed, and that's what I hunt. And I, I just want everybody to know that just because it is November doesn't mean that it's the rut, okay? The rut may take place the seventh, you know, on your farms, those does might not even go into heat until the 14th or halfway through the month, depending on where they're at. And then all you're doing is if you're implementing certain strategies for the rut in a time frame that's not the rut, then you might have issues with pressure, you know, hunting a spot too many times. You may just need to wait and you can gather a lot of that information with trail cameras. I'm telling you, I don't know a lot of people are just like, well, I don't need trail cameras or I don't, I don't need trail camera information. I just go off what I know. Well, that's fine. But if I didn't have trail cameras this year, I wouldn't have connected with the deer that I shot uh, or that I, I'm going to hopefully go after next year, right? On a ridge with no deer sign. For some reason, I, I put a trail camera on this ridge over top of a bed and uh, this, this deer bed. And sure enough, he... I had tons of pictures of deer coming through there and there was no buck sign. The buck sign was at the top of the ridge or at the very bottom of the ridge next where another kind of ridge came into play. So I don't know. I don't know is what I'm getting at. Uh, <laughs> I hope that this deer sticks around and that, that I can use that trail camera data. But the trail camera data, especially if you leave it in after you start hunting, and I know some guys can do that, some guys can't, but that trail camera data that you can get after the rut is over, or let's say you tag out on November 1st, and then you have the trail camera in there for the next two weeks catching the movement, and that can tell you a lot of information, especially in a, in a spot that may not have much activity so uh i don't know just uh just talking out loud at this point so i'm gonna call this episode done this is the vasectomy session uh uh, podcast and so first off i just want to say huge shout out to all of you i really do appreciate um you guys downloading the the podcast uh and and spreading the word a lot of cool things coming down the pipe here on the nine finger chronicles and on the network and huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast hunt stand wasp ozonics novex vortex exodus and excalibur please go out and support the brands that support this podcast and lastly man good vibes right honestly right man right now the there are deer starting to grow it's not even like some deer are still holding and some deer probably have little nubs right now and so there's going to be like it's already starting right now the 2022 season is already starting and so we let if we want to have our best season ever we got to get on on it 
and uh, man, I'm, I'm definitely gonna, uh, I'm, I'm going all in again this year. That's all I know how to do. So uh, good luck to you. Start scouting now. Do not be, do, do not procrastinate because as it starts to green up, man, then, then you're all screwed. And then you got to fight mosquitoes, poison ivy, all that shit. No one wants that. Uh, good vibes in, good vibes out, man. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.